I am Brother Cornell West, and this is Hip Hop Can Save America. Peace and love, everybody. It's your man, Manny Faces. Just wanted to let you know that Hip Hop Can Save America is now available as a live stream show every Monday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Time on YouTube. You can find it at hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash watch. Excerpts from that show will be played here on the audio feed, so you'll still get the good interviews that you've been used to. But check out the live stream and check out my free Substack newsletter at mannyfaces.substack.com. That's filled with all kinds of stories of hip-hop innovation, inspiration, and generally hip-hop news that isn't about dumb shit. For everything hip-hop can save America, hiphopcansaveamerica.com. For everything Manny Faces, mannyfaces.com. And if you find value in this work, you can support it. We'd love to have you aboard as a supporter at patreon.com slash mannyfaces. Now let's go. On this episode of Hip Hop Can Save America, healing trauma in young people through therapeutic beat making. Dr. Elliot Gann breaks down the concept, his acclaimed work in the field, and the neuroscience behind it all. My name is Manny Faces. Let's go. The thing about hip hop... Uh, today is it's smart it's insightful the, the way that they can communicate uh, a complex message in a very short space is is remarkable and a lot of these kids they're not going to be reading the new york times that's not how they're getting their information so hip hop didn't invent anything, but hip hop reinvented everything. Welcome to another episode of Hip Hop Can Save America, aka the world's smartest hip hop podcast. For information about everything we do, visit hiphopcansaveamerica.com. If you find these shows valuable, spread the word. Plus, you can help support the work at patreon.com slash mannyfaces. And follow our parent organization, the Center for Hip Hop Advocacy, on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Hip Hop Advocacy. Now, even before the coronavirus pandemic, evidence abounded suggesting that mental health issues were increasing among adolescents and teens in America. Reasons aren't always completely clear, although the side effects of being a digitally native generation may play a part. Regardless, the statistics are sobering. The LA Times, reporting on research, stated that between 2008 and 2017, Generation Z's emotional distress and its propensity towards self-harm grew more than for any other generation of Americans during the same period. By 2017, just over 13% of Americans between the ages of 12 and 25 had symptoms consistent with an episode of major depression in the previous year, a 62% increase in eight years. Now, as with too many other things in America, the effects are disproportionately worse for communities of color. Not only does living in a society built on racist principles and policies mean that youth of color are more likely to experience trauma, both physical and mental, they're less likely to receive treatment. An imperfect healthcare system, cultural stigma, and now a life-altering stress monster of a pandemic all contribute to an avalanche of undiagnosed, untreated issues. With COVID-19-related school closures reducing access to school counseling professionals, many young people have lost one of the only outlets they had to help cope. 
For years, however, Dr. Elliot Gann has been proving that hip-hop provides an engaging and effective method to help young people deal with their emotional trauma through a process called therapeutic beatmaking. It sounds like how it sounds. Through discussion, learning about how hip-hop music is made, and hands-on creation, young people are finding ways to cope and have a good time in the process. After a long time of juggling schedules, I was finally able to catch up with Dr. Gann, who, pre-COVID, would travel around the world conducting these workshops. And we spoke earlier this summer, and while the pandemic lockdown was in full swing, nothing then or since has stopped Dr. Gann, aka Philip Drummond, from making the world a more bearable place through hip-hop. Here's my talk with Dr. Elliot Gann. Dr. Elliot Gann, finally. We've been planning this talk for a, a good long time. Uh, I do thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to kick it with me today, sir. No, thank you for having me. I've been pursuing you for many years, <laughs> harassing you. <laughs> very much, very much so. Well, I, I, as we were saying beforehand, I, I had anticipated we'd be able to do this kind of in person. You're often in my neck of the woods uh, and scheduling got crisscrossed. And now without that option being an option anymore, I said enough, enough is enough. Let's do this. That's right. So I appreciate you. I appreciate your time and I appreciate your work. Uh, I definitely want to talk, obviously, about what you do. I want you to share with people who listen to this show what you do, but with a particular emphasis on why you do it and uh, and why you think and why the receipts will show uh, that it's so important that you do what you do. So I've given folks a little bit of an idea of who you are, the type of work you do, of course, but so many of us wear so many hats. So just from how you present yourself to the world, top level bullet points, what is it you do, sir? And then we'll drill down a little bit. Yeah. So I am a, I'm a licensed clinical psychologist. I'm a beat maker, uh, sometimes DJ. Uh, you know, I don't, I'm not a turntablist, so I respect, uh, quote unquote, real DJs, real hip hop DJs. But I, I can spin, I can mix, I scratch a little yeah. poorly. <laughs> uh, but my, my main trade is, is beat making, um, music production. And I also perform live beat sets. And uh, I'm, I, I guess I consider myself an activist, a uh, somewhat of a community uh, organizer and um, global traveler, cultural slash hip hop ambassador, diplomat. Yeah, fan of hip hop as well and, and music and culture and traveler, world traveler. And um, uh, I really like ice cream. That's what's up. I, I see you found a way. I don't know about the ice cream part, but you could probably work that in. You found sort of a way to incorporate all of those things that you are and love uh, into this this work that you do, kind of blending the... Uh, therapeutic use of music and working with young people especially and i guess that's the premier uh, way that you do that is with today's future sound so yeah so i and i should mention i'm i'm executive director of today's future sound uh which is a nonprofit based in oakland california that uses hip-hop beat making and culture as a culturally responsive mental health educational and cross-cultural cultural diplomacy initiative intervention project um so I'm, i've really dedicated my life to that into pushing forward the idea of not only of kind of hip hop therapy and therapeutic applications of hip hop and pedagogical applications of hip hop and kind of straddle the fence between those two, but also uh, really focusing in on therapeutic beat making. And so I've really been developing this therapeutic beat making model for the past decade plus. Mm. Um, so studying the impact of hip hop, but in particular beat making, repetitive rhythms, and how we can think about using beat making in schools in community settings, in juvenile detention and prison forensic settings as a really effective and fun, you know, way of 
helping folks to cope with difficult emotional situations, um, you know, so-called disorders, mm. trauma, anxiety, depression, stress. Uh, yeah. And I, and I think that we've really seen that even if you don't have any, you know, major quote unquote trauma, I mean, obviously COVID is very traumatic as is the assault and murdering of black and, and just citizens in general in the United States and around the world. I think that's pretty traumatic, but uh, even just the general like vicissitudes of life, the general kind of stresses and struggles, uh, we all experience stress because we live in a capitalistic society and in a uh, you know modern culture that really puts uh, an emphasis more on you know capitalism and um, work, work, work than on human beings. And so I think we need ways to cope with that. And one of the ways I think people do is with arts and music and hip hop and you know finding their community and their tribe. So we really try to push that to the forefront and kind of speak to the the value of that and how it can be used to heal and, and empower. Yeah. We've seen this specifically uh, to the quarantine, the pandemic and being inside, you know, we've seen the, the arts, you know, the music, the, the live DJ sets, just on a very cursory level, someone who's not connected with hip hop as a tool for educating or for counseling and some of the therapy that you're talking about, which is like a, a deeper rabbit hole uh, to go into. You could just see from the cursory level that there's people engaging in hip hop and hip hop culture and music and the arts as a way of relief, as a way to escape. It's, it's made a lot of people, it's brought a lot of life to, you know, to a lot of people going through this. So yeah, back in mid-March, like right when COVID was kind of hitting, like around the 10th, the 14th, I started Global Beat Cypher. It's hashtag Global Beat Cypher with Cypher spelled with a Y-C-Y-P-H-E-R. Right. Um, which was a, you know, initiative kind of on my part and the part of my nonprofit to offer folks some kind of way to, to come together and fight, you know, social isolation, to fight xenophobia, especially like, you know, this kind of anti-Asian racist sentiments and attacks and bullying that I saw happening in, you know, the Bay Area and my own local community and across the country. And, in, in you know, it was really kind of playing upon the xenophobia that's been really kind of stirred up in the us and them mentality and the racism that's been stoked, I think, by the leadership of this country for several years, but really in, a, in just a really ignorant and scapegoating kind of way that really disturbed me. Yeah. And I thought there's got to be something that I can do that I know how to do that I know well. And that's putting on events, using hip hop as a, a forum and a vehicle for people to meet. So we did this. I did this as an, a, a very grassroots digital initiative via first via you know Google Hangouts. And then we switched over to Zoom and using that to network. I guess a couple of weeks into it, I realized it was a show when I started bringing on guests and uh, we had beat makers from all around the globe. I was putting out sample packs and curating these sample packs of vintage songs from around the around the world with beat makers around the globe, tapping in digitally, all coming together and started to create this online community or building off of a community that that we've created in real life with, uh, you know, today's future sound family across the globe, sure. as well as new folks that, you know, maybe we discovered online. And so it's been really beautiful to kind of have that gelling and coming together and, and having that as a platform to learn about each other and learn about different cultures and get to know each other across ethnic, geographic, linguistic lines. And so to me, that also speaks to the, not only uh, in the words of Dr. Raphael Travis, the healing power of hip hop, but the community building aspects that, you know, are, are fundamentally baked in. And, and I really view hip hop as intrinsically necessarily uh, from like an evolutionary standpoint, having education, empowerment, therapy, and therapeutic developmental aspects and community aspects are all baked in right. necessarily because where they came from and how hip hop developed, right? right? So to me, it's uh, a lot of the work that I do is highlighting certain aspects that are pre-existing and maybe spelling them out in a in a clinical or sociological 
or pedagogical or educational way and kind of further fleshing that out or building on that. And, that, and you know, people have talked about rhythms and drumming and how that can be therapeutic. So we took literature from the, the dr- you know, therapeutic drumming research or, you know, theories and applied that to beat making. And then took trauma theory in the most current trauma theory and trauma research and neurophysiological kind of inter, interpersonal neurobiology and applied all of those on, you know, to the, the theory and the idea of therapeutic beat making that I put forward, but also done that pedagogically too and said, Hey, you can teach math and science and algebra and, you know, experiential project based learning is all based in hip hop beat making and hip hop and the production of stuff. So to me, it, it all kind of folded in nicely and it's just an extension of what we've been doing. And, you know, we, we've been doing stuff across the globe in real life for several years now, whether it's in El Salvador or in Colombia or in Australia or uh, the Philippines or wherever. So to me, it's just pulling in people together. And, and that's been a manifestation of all the kind of multiple areas and that we have tapped into before. Yeah, indeed. And to have that global network that's happened to is valuable. And it actually... Uh, well, it's going to go to something I want to ask you about. It's funny you say to be able to translate some of the things that are uh, in hip hop's core. I talked to Dr. Bettina Love, who I know you know and who's on this show. She's amazing. Uh, incredible. One of the things that, that came up in that conversation was, you know, when you try to bring these ideas into schools, you're going to get a lot of pushback. You're going to get a lot of uh, unsure uh, assumptions or preconceived notions about hip hop in general and and whether this uh, any aspect of or the culture of the the music associated with it can be used to benefit in an educational setting. Her point was very much, no, we do it naturally in hip hop. Yeah. We have to find a way to translate that to the people. So, you know, the social and emotional intelligence, the critical thinking and and show that when we get into a cipher, this is what that is. And, you know, and and translating it. So let me ask you about this. And, And let's take it back to the sort of the base, the base work, what this work looks like. When you say that you are using beat making as therapy or as to help young people, describe a couple of the programs specifically uh, and how that works. I think that there's two things to point out that beat making that beats is much more musical than a lot of people would give credit for. So there's a lot that you incorporate into beat making that actually teaches things like musical theory, composition, traditional aspects of music. And secondly, the therapeutic aspect where we might see you know, someone could say, well, you know, playing playing a, a, an instrument is, can be very therapeutic or cathartic. That's true. You find the same thing here. Yeah. So I, I want to bring those parallels in. So explain some of the work that's actually done with young people in either classroom or community settings, just to give a, a picture. So to give to give a picture, literal, we are a nonprofit that goes into elementary, middle and high schools, community settings, whether they be park settings or, you know, a community center or something like that, and juvenile detention centers prisons. We bring beat making equipment with us. So that looks like, you know, uh, an Ableton push hardware controller, a laptop, you know, five pairs of headphones and a five-way headphone splitter, a speaker, um, sometimes an audio interface and a microphone. And we set it up in front of small groups of kids because our, our pedagogy really involves, you know, a three to one, maybe four to one ratio of students to, to instructor, to beat maker, right? right. It's not a lecture. This is hands-on. Yeah, yeah, for the most part, unless we're doing like the exposure model. And we, we've done assemblies with up to eight, I've you know, done up to 800 kids at sure. a time. And I'll pull kids out of the audience. But we always kind of start with the same thing. We start with the history of hip hop with DJ Cool Herc and the breaks. The idea that really that hip hop beats as we know it started, the inception of it was 
DJ Cool Herc's merry-go-round technique, right? And so we're talking about the history that this was invented by black and brown folks, African-Americans and Afro-Latinos in the South Bronx in the 1960s, 1970s. And that DJ Cool Herc really introduced the idea of, of beats as we know it and the breaks and having that repetitive drum beat, the breakdown section of the record that had really the strong stripped down break and that that was then looped manually with turntables. But we now have computers and digital samplers that can, instead of having to, you know, switch back and forth between two records manually and play that quote unquote by hand, we now have digital samplers that repeat that or, and, or we have drum machines or, you know, software that can program where we can emulate or program the breaks, right? And so we can program a kick drum on the one and the three and a snare drum on the two and the four. And we use Billy Jean as the kind of illustration and template for that, because it's a very simple beat that has a kick drum on the one and the three and a snare drum on the two and the four and has eighth note hi-hats. So it sounds like, doom, tap, doom, tap, right? Kick, one, two, three, four, and then tap, tap, tap. And it's boots and cats, right? Right. Which is the, the stereotype or the the automatopoeia for for beatboxing, right? And it's a it's a very simple framework that allows anyone to start a beat in a really you know stripped down fundamental way, a starting place, and then you add on additional kick drums and maybe additional hi hats or change the tempo, and you can make pretty much any kind of hip hop beat, right? But it's the re- it's the bare bones, and I explain that the the break is like if we think about a, a beat as a human being, to me the break is the skeleton that holds holds it up mm. and is the basis of it, right? Mm. And then you put the add the organs and the internal organs and the flesh and the skin and the hair and all that kind of stuff on to kind of deck, which is like the melody and the harmony and you know stuff like that. That's a metaphor. So we're teaching kids about the components of the beat, like a gestalt, if you will, a greater whole that we get them to then think about. But we teach them how to construct it. And then in turn, they're given critical thinking and listening skills through the knowledge of how to construct, to deconstruct and think critically about other beats. And, we, and you see that kind of thing. So I've had students and even parents who, who observe that they're, that they're listening to music differently instead of a whole, as a gestalt and something you just take for granted and you just, oh, that's a song and I'm singing along with it. And, yeah, and so, right. You know, the kid will say, hey, mom, you know, literally I've heard two parents tell me this after our therapeutic beat making groups we did in uh, middle school in, in Daly City in San Francisco. And the parents said, yeah, my kid was like, we're driving in the car listening to the radio. My kid's like, hey, mom, do you hear that snare drum? And they're like, what are you talking about? Well, they're talking about the pieces of a beat, right? And so they're learning. The layers, they can piece. Yeah, the layers. Different pieces and yeah. Yeah, so it's, and it's, it, it takes nuanced understanding to really kind of deconstruct a beat, but it takes the knowledge. It's like if you, if you build houses, you can look at a house and say, ah, look at the shingles on the roof. Okay, I see that. And look at the columns they used there. Or, oh, they used plywood and the combination of plywood and blah, 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 right? So it's any kind of knowledge they're giving someone. So we give them kind of the how-to, both from a like a very spelled out, um, concrete and kind of technical perspective. Right. The kick drum goes on the one and the three. The snare drum goes on the two and the four. The first beat and the third beat, the first quarter note and the third quarter note of the bar and we're talking about bars and beats, right? That's where the kick drum goes and the snare drum hits on the second beat and the fourth beat, right? And then you have twice the frequency of eighth notes instead of quarter notes with a hi-hat that's twice as fast. It occurs twice as fast. And we present it in a visual way. We do it always kinesthetically where we have, you know, if it, whether it's 800 kids or five kids, stomp and clap out Billy Jean along with it because it's culturally familiar. Everyone, I, I don't think I've ever met a kid at least who publicly admitted it, who didn't recognize, at least even if they didn't know the name, 
didn't recognize Billie Jean. They've heard it before. Right. And it's a, it's, so it's a familiar break. It's something that's familiar. And then you show them how to listen to it in a different way. So there's a lot of complex cognitive processes and, and, you know, kind of things going on pedagogically there too. It's multi-sensory learning. It's multi, you know, multiple intelligence learning. It's a multi-sensory integration with sound, kinesthetic movement, and also visually we're writing it up on the board. We're representing it in an abstract way. So, you know, it's like hip hop, it's multi-sensory and it plays into and utilizes multiple intelligences and multiple learning styles, which are not synonymous. They're not the same but they're related. Right. And so to me, that's really important because different people learn in different ways, but certainly most people learn, I think kinesthetically, but some people have different preferences, but we know if you're just from cognitive psychology that people learn better when they're standing up, walking around than when they're sitting down. I always joke to people when I'm doing a lecture and people are sitting down, I said, I'm not going to get offended if you stand up and walk around because I know <laughs> you'll be learning better. Right? <laughs> right. The same thing if someone's drawing or doodling in the back. That's a multi-sensory integration. Some people need that to regulate their anxiety sure. or to help them process information differently right. or to spell it out, to process it in a different way. We also know from cognitive psychology that adults can't focus more than 20 minutes at a time. So you have to think about spacing and stopping and, and people are constantly integrating information. They're dissociating to kind of go into daydreaming and play with the information they've been given and go through a, a, a process of virtual networks in the brain, right. neur, you know, neural networks and process it and play around with those ideas. And then they come back, they associate, they reintegrate, come back from their dissociation. Come back to reality. <laughs> yeah. But that's how, that's how the brain works. That's right. even how like the processing of information when we sleep within REM sleep, when we integrate and process information, you know, it's a different kind of sleep than slow wave, which is restful. But we know that we reintegrate uh, information and play with information in our dreams in a cognitive way and emotional too when we sleep. So there's, you know, I think about that and I think about the different ways that people learn. And that's why I think hip hop is so amazing because it's a multi-sensory, multiple intelligence integration. And this is why when, when I was 18, when I pull, you know, my, my parents are psychologists, psychiatrists, psychoanalysts, right? And so they have Gardner's Frames of Mind, which is the book that you know, Howard Gardner introduced the idea of multiple intelligences right. based on his cognitive study of the brain and brain damage and temporal and other lobes damaged in the brain. And he saw, oh, when you when you have people who have traumatic brain injury or damage to different parts of the brain, it affects different skill sets and capacities, intelligences, and then helped him develop the idea of multiple intelligences. So I pull that book off the bookshelf. I read it. I'm already, you know, I grow up in New York City. I'm getting more and more into old school and underground hip hop culture. And I think, oh my God, this is amazing. Or, oh my Freud, I should say. I don't, I don't do, oh my God, I do, I do Freud. Very apropos. Yeah, <laughs> OMF. Um, I found out my dad was independently saying that. He's also, a, he's a psychoanalyst and psychiatrist. We had independently both come. So Father's Day, I made him an Oh My Freud song. That's wonderful. Anyway, so I pull the book off the bookshelf. I think, wow, this is amazing because this totally justifies and validates what hip hop does with its four or five different elements. Back then I was, you know, I, I mean, I learned about knowledge as the fifth element of hip hop as I learned more and more and all that. But, you know, the four elements of hip hop. OK, this is great. So you have DJing and I house beat making under that. Right. Which is, you know, involves logical, mathematical reasoning, which is one of the logical, mathematical and verbal linguistic are, are the two intelligences that are, have traditionally been focused on in Western and American schooling, right? right? Mm -hmm. you, you, you take those stupid standardized tests like SATs or, you know, what, whatever regents they are. Regents exams. Yeah, regents <laughs> exams. <laughs> New York, you know, no. Yeah, and it focuses on those, on abstract reasoning ability, 
quote unquote problem solving in only one modality. There's there's because there's kinesthetic bodily problem solving. And that's one of the multiple intelligences, kinesthetic intelligence. So people who play sports, people who build stuff, people who take things apart, people who sew, who knit, who construct, who make things with their body, who dance, et cetera. But that's not something they test on the regents or on the SATs, right? They don't test your capacity to solve problems in the real world with your body. Right. Like the thing that mechanics do or engineers, it's so on and so forth. So a quarterback is probably a really good physicist. (laughs) Yeah. Real world physicist. All (laughs) all our athletes are, right? Sure. So I, I thought, man, this is amazing because you have all these real world intelligences that now are being operationalized and defined for me. So mm-hmm. this is basically, this is all happening in hip hop. So a DJ is using logical mathematical to recognize patterns. They're using kinesthetic intelligence, bodily intelligence, being physically good with both fine motor skills, small motor movements with fingers and gross motor movements with larger bodies. Then they also, there's the interpersonal intelligence, the capacity that takes to read your crowd Mm -hmm. and understand what's the setting like Mm -hmm. of where I'm DJing and what's the narrative. Because I believe DJs create narratives, right? And stories with the tracks that you choose, the transitions that you make in the same way that I think beat makers do too. And that's part of my therapeutic beat making model I'll get to in in a minute. But, you know, so a DJ also, everything necessarily in terms of hip hop is intrapersonal as well. It's interpersonal intelligence, the capacity to understand what's going on internally for you and understanding your emotional state. So I believe that that's the outward interpersonal aspects, the DJing, the interacting with the crowd. There's also the subjective expression of oneself and one's own subjectivity and one's experience and the two of those blending. And then when you when you blend those two, interpersonal, intrapersonal, that's SEL, socio-emotional learning, which is what you know they're, they're trying to teach in schools and is basically what educators call things that they, you know, they're not trained mental health clinicians, so they can't talk about mental health stuff, but it's like akin to that, right? right social right. skills and expressing yourself, learning to calm yourself down and, and you know, these kinds of things, social skills. Yeah. Um, by the way, the, the thing that's missing from SEL is emotional regulation and downregulation of the stress response. And that's something that uh, Neuroga Institute, who are great, who teach dynamic mindfulness, point out that SEL is really missing that. And that's really fundamental. So helping kids and people to downregulate their stress response you know, that could be responding to to trauma, to having PTSD flashbacks or more complex developmental trauma or even just performance anxiety. So you can't use your brain, the front of your brain, your prefrontal cortex right. that we used to think, remember, learn, et cetera. If you're in a fight or flight mode, if you've kind of descended into the reptilian brain or the mammal brain, even the mammal brain, because fight or flight is a mammalian response, whereas the lizard brain, the the freeze or faint, which are trauma and stress responses, kids freeze up. Right. You can't access thinking right. if you're in a survival state. Right. So anyway, uh, this connects back to what I'm talking about, because in addition to the multiple intelligences, hip hop regulates, it down regulates the stress response system through repetitive beats, regulation through rhythm, rhythmic regulation. And this is what all the trauma experts, Bruce Perry, Vander Kolk, Stephen Porges, all the trauma experts in the world talk about rhythmic regulation and regulation through rhythm, both through human interactions and through actual concrete rhythms. Mm. Uh, and and anyway, I, I digress. But the mm. point that I was trying to make about the multiple intelligence is that all of that stuff is housed in hip hop in really intuitive ways that we know. So there's knowledge obviously built into hip hop and wisdom built into hip hop. And it, as I was saying, it's necessarily adaptive and therapeutic. And so I thought, man, this is incredible. Why aren't we using this for education? We could be using, you know, uh, beat making to teach math and science and algebra and everything pretty much. And Breaking involves kinesthetic intelligence, interpersonal, intrapersonal, all these kinds of things, because it all has to do with the community, communicating with others, the cipher, passing on wisdom, learning, and solving real world problems 
in a really innovative way. And so this is what I always talk about when I present, when I try to convince people in schools, et cetera, the value of hip hop. Yeah. Hip hop necessarily innovated technologically, culturally, aesthetically to now where we all have DJ controllers that are based on turntables. But we also have and, and now uh, these DJ controllers, which have platters that emulate, you know, they're not actual real turntables, but, you know, that's how we DJ. And that's part of the whole aesthetic and part of like even technological stuff. So we also have these pads that come from beat machines from MPCs are now being put on DJ controllers. And that's a function of coming from hip hop, you know, electronic music. And there's no electronic music really without hip hop. There's craft work, but like in the way that hip hop has shaped everything sure. and created the the genre of beats and I don't say genre, but like subgenre, a uh, whole like phenomenon of beats of repetitive loop based music that has strong percussive elements that we know is as beats. It, influ- it permeates everything. Even country music now has the snaps on the <laughs> two and the four, you know, with yeah. in, kind of alluding to pop and R and B and hip hop. So to me, it was just like, it became very clear how valuable hip hop was and how much was already contained within it. And we just need to highlight these things. And so to people who say, well, how, how can this be used for education or, or mental health in a therapeutic capacity? It's quite clear. And it's what people have been doing for, you know, 47 years with hip hop or even longer with arts and music, but especially hip hop that was a, you know, sociopolitical response to marginalization, racism, oppression, lack of resources. And it's just ingenuity. It's all about innovation and hip hop, you know, both metaphorically remixes and literally remixes sounds, ideas, other cultures, pieces. You know, it's all about innovation. And so if you're, you know, I live in the Bay Area and your Silicon Valley, like hip hop has been doing the startup thing, as it were, but in a different manifestation for years and innovating for years. A hundred percent. I do an entire lecture called Hip Hop Hacked Everything. And it talked about yeah. engineering, uh, you know, going back to Grandmaster Flash, trying to get the right torque. He, he called it, he, he says, I call it the torque theory. And he's talking about torque and, and how That's fast dope. the platter will spin yep. back up after you backspin yep. it. So he's like, he's testing out, he's re-engineering turntables. He's yep. he's rebuilding mixers that weren't built for going back and forth between two turntables with a crossfader back then. And again, I, I use the clip in the intro to the show and the theme music Grandmaster Kaz sang in the, uh, in the Art of Rap documentary. Hip hop didn't invent anything, but it reinvented everything. That's right. And, and the, so that just, you know, says, uh, again, you're right in that it has had its hand in so many things innovated all kind of industries uh either to remake them in its own image or to just start something completely new yeah and and you know one of the other examples that i give i mean there's the traditional example of how turntables were reinvented as instruments right reinterpreted and used sure. like their teleological purpose what the the purpose that they existed for that's like a you know cultural anthropology term right sure the purpose that they exist for was to play records you put the needle on the record you step back and you don't touch it right and Hip hop said, no, we're not going to play by the rules. We're going to color outside the box and, and totally reinvent it. And so scratching, mixing, you literally turning the, the turntable into not only a rhythmic instrument, right. but a melodic instrument. Right, right, right. Then you have a parallel to that that I've been kind of highlighting for the past couple of years, which is with modern hip hop, electronic music, but especially with trap, right? They took kick drums from the, the TR-808. This has become, TR-808 kick drums have become synonymous with 808. Like people you know, often forget that there's the 808 snare drums and hi-hats being used, right. but they took the kick drums. And the cowbell, isn't there it. a cowbell in there? <laughs> yeah, there's definitely the cowbell, yeah. and that's a, a distinct, you know, and a clave <laughs> too, but yeah. the, in particular, the, the TR-808 kick drum sure. 
has been pitched up or down to become an instrument, a melodic instrument instead of just a rhythmic instrument. Right. And so the TR-808 was a commercial failure when it came out in 1979. It, It just it was meant to be, you know, stand in for session drummers or whatever. But it was really it was kind of brought you know back to life and had like a renaissance through through hip hop, both in the 80s for drum programming and for beat making hip hop. But then again, in the late 90s, early 2000s with, you know, Dirty South and, and Trap, where the kick drum was in the same way that the, the turntable was being used as an instrument in a way it was not intended. The, the kick drum, which was just a rhythmic percussive instrument and therefore did not really have a, a fundamental like tone that people paid attention to or pitch right. was then being pitched up or down because right. it's kind of similar to a sine wave you know right. it's a kind of a, like a smooth bass sound and so you you have the, the reinvention of the kick drum as a melodic instrument which is just it's so hip-hop and it's just so the nature of hip-hop breaking and bending the rules using things in different ways and innovating and in ingenuity which is really at, at the core of uh, the spirit of hip-hop and, and the history of it so that that's what I love about the work that that you do, the way it's shown to the kids. It's again, as I said before, it's it's teaching musical composition, and th- but it's also sort of breaking down, uh, deconstructing uh, the music they listen to. Modern music. There's a lot less music classes in you know in school, a lot less music programs and arts programs. Obviously, a a, a larger issue, but there's certainly not classes that teach you electronic music in schools. It's not you're filling in a gap that isn't being addressed by music programs in in schools across America, correct? Yeah, for the most part. I mean, there's obviously some progressive teachers who are and and pedagogues and you know who are far and few between, perhaps increasing, um who are bringing both popular music and hip hop electronic music production in the classroom, especially with like Ableton's Push initiative where we were able to get, you know, pushes donated to like Heal the Hood in South Africa, El Salvador right. and in the US uh, in the South Bronx. Shout out JC Hall at Monhaven Community High School, right? Indeed, but, um, indeed. Yeah, for the most part, it's not really happening. We have to really push it forward and create this justification for it. And yeah, I believe we are filling a gap because how many kids are taught music composition, right? We're teaching music composition in, in an unorthodox, a traditional way. Right. But it is the current kind of way of doing it. Now, I think there's tremendous value to kids learning classical instruments and string instruments and, you know, being classically trained. But I think there's also tremendous value to giving them something that just relates more to their their reality and, and what they listen to. And I think that's really important from a pedagogical perspective. I, I always use the kind of cliched example of um, uh, Pokemon Go when it came out, right? It was a cultural phenomenon, as is TikTok. So if you're a teacher, you should understand what your students are using, doing, listening to, et cetera, outside of class and use that as a culturally familiar modality to speak to their everyday experience. Because kids are learning all sorts of things they're not taught in school yeah. through those modalities, through those experiences, through the, that networked learning through their peers, right? I think they learn a lot more from the outside world than from their peers and peer learning, peer-to-peer learning than they do in school typically. Right. But if you can bring that into the classroom, you can see that some of the most effective pedagogues and teachers uh, I've seen do that and are actually interested in their students and in the relationships and understand that the student culture, youth culture, is the medium that they really speak and relate to. Yeah. Um, uh, Aisha Upchurch from uh, the Harvard Graduate Schools of Education uh, on a previous episode, one of the quotes she says is, "Is hip hop's already in the room. You know, I tell them it's already there. It's so you could act like it's not part of the things that affect your children, your students, but it is. It's it's influential for good or for bad. 
Yep. You know, for whatever it is, it's very influential and you need to be able to, if you do truly care about your students and really want to find the best ways to, uh, to educate and to, I guess, meet them where they are, that kind of, you know, idea. It just, doesn't it make sense? Yeah. How else are you going to connect with them? Unless yeah. you're like legitimately interested in all your students as people. Right. In which case, and well, I would hope you would be anyway, if, if you're, <laughs> if you're doing that, but it, I'm saying that's another route. Like, let's yeah. say you're, um pretty white bread person who's not into hip hop, which I've seen. I, I saw a really excellent clinician. She was a middle-aged white woman I worked with at, at my psychology internship several years back. And she was just genuinely curious and interested and cared. And so this, you know, pretty white bread, middle, upper middle class lady knew about the sideshow in Oakland, which is, you know, just a, it's kind of a unique cultural phenomenon in, in Oakland in the Bay Area where people pull their cars up and they right. do donuts and they hang out and go wild and, you know, have a good time. Yep. So she knew about that because she had been genuinely interested and asked young people of color she's working with, like, you know, tell me about yourself. <laughs> tell you me about what you like. You're not here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, but, but like was you could tell she was genuinely authentically interested. So right. I think if you have teachers like that, they naturally learn about that because they're genuinely interested in ge- trying to make genuine connections. But I think that kind of person anyway would probably be open to understanding what their kids are interested in and understanding that that's a vehicle with which you can connect with them and, and learn about their identity. And does that, that ties into, I think, the uh, therapeutic counseling, uh, you know, emotional strengthening of young people. How does the work you do and maybe a couple of examples or and I know you also do research on some of the work you do. You're not just doing this willy nilly. There's a lot of receipts, you know, uh, academic uh, receipts to back up some of the work you do. Where do you see the real benefits of this kind of work on a on a personal level? Yeah, well, so I mean, I can speak, you know, if you're asking me on my own personal level, which is where I think what informs most of all of our lives and the work that we do. For me, I saw how helpful on a therapeutic and developmental level beat making and hip hop was for me in terms of my identity, inspiring me to, to create, to make, to experience, to understand the world in a, in a, in a different, more nuanced and connected way. And then I, so I used my experience of like, wow, beat making is really helpful for me on an emotional level to process things, to focus, to learn. Like I, I was learning, I wasn't particularly a mathematical person. I tried really hard in high school and I, you know, I did some basic calculus, but um, learning about calculus and math through beat making, through experimentation and through necessity and wanting to know that because it, it, it has real world value and application was really effective for me. And, so I was, and isn't that the thing we all say, like, when am I going to need to use this calculus? Exactly. When you're, when you're doing sound design. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. So t- to me, and I always, it's unfair to the teachers at the school, but I always ask kids like, would you like to learn algebra and math through beat making? All the kids are like, yeah. <laughs> There's a great program. Again, one of the guys I, uh, I interviewed on here, uh, Richard Ashe, who works at Google, but developed a, a program called Python MC. And this uh-huh. is a way to learn computer programming through beat making. Yeah. It's really, I don't know if you know the program. It's a, it's really fascinating. I feel like I might have heard of it. But There's a whole yeah, sound repository, and you got to build the layers and the loops and how you want them to no, go four amazing. bars, eight bars, but you have to do it all programmatically. And I've seen yeah. kids. So again, the same thing. Do you want to learn computer programming through you know these textbooks and these you know uh, these videos of, you know, or do you want to learn it through beat making? And guess yeah, which and, one they and choose, and guess which one is super engaging. No, for sure. And that's why you know look, our slogan is "I wish I had this when I was a kid." Yeah, because we either A did or B didn't. And we realize now having taught ourselves and learned from our peers and learned informally. And that's what happens with hip hop 
right? It, that you learn informally and there's knowledge sharing and all that kind of stuff in the cipher and elsewhere by necessity, you learn what you need to, to survive or to figure things out. We then enable teaching artists or we convert artists into teaching artists. We give them pedagogy and training and pedagogy and mental health and et cetera. And I'll, I'll get to the, the mental health stuff and the therapeutic aspects in a second, but there's that intergenerational, it's, you know, the fifth element of hip hop knowledge that each one teach one kind sure. of ethic and being actualized. And people say, man, if I wish I had this when I was a kid, because I would have eaten this up. Yeah. I would have learned, you know, math and science through beat making. I would have had something, a, a positive outlet or, or they did in some right. capacity and they recognized the value of it. So th- there's really an opportunity for folks to, you know, do that intergenerational giving back and that intergenerational healing and empowerment in contrast to the intergenerational trauma and the passing down of trauma that also happens for us humans. And that's, you know, kind of legacy of this country and the world. Yeah. So I view that as kind of a, a, a counter force, a counterbalance in a way that we can fight back against or I don't, fights are violent words. So maybe heal back against the, uh, the violence that we've experienced otherwise. People, people want it in that form. They want things that relate to their reality and you have to meet them where they're at immediately. Even if you don't like the stuff that, that they like, right? it's still, it's not about that. And that's the premise of like any good psychologist or therapist or counselor knows, and even any good teacher or parent knows, right. you got to meet people where they're at. That's just any good journalist knows that any good person who has any kind of interpersonal intelligence in SEL understands that, right? You meet people where they're at. You ask them about themselves because everyone's narcissistic. Everyone wants to talk about themselves and tell you who they are and wants to be heard and seen. That's an important part of being a social creature that is, you know, human being, right? Sure. And having mirror neurons and connecting socially and having a limbic system. Our attachment, right, is based on that. So who are you? What are you about? Hip hop already asks those questions. Right. What's your name? What's your style? You got to be fresh, you know, and keep it original, but you can remix. Who are you? What are you about? Tell me about yourself and, and tell me what you like. I think people say, oh, I like this and this and that, you know, and, and I listen, what did you listen to this morning? Oh, I listened to this. Oh, well, let's dissect that. Let's help you understand that in a more nuanced way. Let's deconstruct that. You want to remake, you know, like, for example, three or four years ago, Broccoli by um, Little, was it Little Yachty or whatever, right? One of the Littles. One of the Little. I'm pretty yeah. sure it was Little Yachty and, right. and, and Dram, right? Dram. It was definitely Dram. Yeah. It was a very simple beat. And so we helped the kids to understand it. And we literally had them remake it. And so it, it mm. consisted of basically two major key chords, a distorted 808 with a bunch of saturation on it, mm-hmm. and some other 808 drum sounds. And we helped the kids remake it in the same way that, you know, if you're older, we'll help you remake Still Dre or, you know, uh, whatever, right? Right. And then it transforms someone's understanding and, and it helps them to understand what they kind of already were familiar with in a more nuanced way. And you're giving them the information that someone might be trying to give, you know, someone would be, you're going to learn, you know, math and music theory and da, 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 da. Like, I'm just going to tell it to you. Right. People are like, well, I, whatever, this is over my head or I don't care. But if you make it relevant, applicable, and they can employ it in the real world, then it, it, it's much more meaningful. And it's more meaningfully encoded in their brain. And you want to encode things in a meaningful way where people remember it. And I talk about like affective coding, right? Mm. That there's some emotion coding the information that makes it meaningful to you. People remember that stuff. You remember how you feel, right? Sure. And if I told you, you know, you, you could make a million bucks by going to the corner store and buying a certain lotto ticket, you'd probably do it and you'd, you'd act on it. You'd do it. You'd remember it, you know, as opposed to if I tell you, Hey, you know, check out this link or, you know, and it does not, particularly meaningful to you or like, Hey, learn this math equation. You're like, ah, whatever, what's this useful for? Then you're going to learn it. You don't even care about it. So hip hop makes it meaningful and makes it really applicable. Now to speak to 
the therapeutic aspects of it, the healing aspects of it. So the therapeutic beat making model, as I've kind of conceptualized it and developed it, has three main dimensions. The first is the relationship. Now, the relationship is shown to be the number one predictor of positive therapeutic outcomes in all forms of therapy, psychotherapy, and therapeutic interventions. And that's common sense. If you don't have a relationship with someone, if you don't trust them, how are you going to process your most tightly held secrets, fears, anxieties, worries, wishes, et cetera? It, it just makes no sense. And, that's, and we also know from a pedagogical and educational perspective that the relationship is also key. So if you're not being culturally responsive, if you're not, if you don't have a relationship with your students, why would they bother listening to you if they don't identify with you and relate to you and view you as someone that they can trust and have a, a relationship with? And hopefully a bi-directional one, not just a teacher like, you do this, and yeah. right? right. It has to be an actual re- relationship, yeah. interactive, bi-directional, where the, the teacher can also humble themselves and learn from the students and be curious about who they are and what they're interested in and that kind of thing. So. Right. The relationship's the number one predictor of therapeutic outcome. If I come into the classroom with, you know, a beat machine, a computer and, and a MIDI controller and speakers and something that's familiar, even if they're like, oh, DJ. I'm like, well, I'm not a DJ. I'm making beats. But same same thing. I came from DJing. Close, yeah. Yeah. And, and flashing lights and technology. And technology is part of youth culture. Sure. It's part of all culture now, right? Like in this as, as our five, my five-year-old wands around on our tablet, of course. There you go. So it's culturally familiar. It's part of youth culture. It's part of something they have positive associations to and is part of things they identify with and think is cool. So there's an immediate buy-in. And in psychology, we talk about transference, which is like your automatic relationship and assumptions and stereotypes, whether they be positive or negative and feelings towards someone based on a, a past relationship, right? So mm-hmm. I have this immediate buy-in and positive transference. We do both educationally and from a mental health perspective that allows us a really nice opening window to establish a relationship. Right. And if you use hip hop or like, you know, I, I was a nerdy looking white guy at a school that was predominantly black and brown. I was a school counselor there. But, you know, some of my students would, would rap or freestyle. And so if I could freestyle and dem- demonstrate, you know, that I had a certain amount of skill and, and that I could do that. And I recognize that as being valuable and something that I did. Right. Suddenly this nerdy white guy suddenly becomes maybe a little bit different. You look at him a little bit differently right. and they could relate to me a little more. Sure. And you've shown them kind of maybe a respect or a you know understanding of them and their culture that they don't get from people in in authority or in schools. Yeah, and and probably have have devalued right hip hop and their culture. And you know, and, and I'm not saying all right, kids right. listen to hip hop because some kids listen to emo, some kids listen to techno, some kids listen to cumbia or, or um whatever. Right. And so I may not be a, an expert in certain areas in the same way that I am with like hip hop or electronic music production, but I certainly can be curious. So for an example, I, I volunteered at a, a, a hospital in Melbourne, Australia with a, it was with a, you know, a white 13 year old girl who was not into hip hop. She was into metal. And I said, look, I'm no metal expert, but we can make some kind of metal stuff on here. Let me show you some of the electric guitars thing. So sure enough, you know, 15, 20, half an hour later, we're making metal beats as it were. And again, it's not legit. I'm not, a, I, I'm not part of metal culture, rock culture per se. Right. I have some knowledge of it, but you know, or if a kid's like, oh, I like cumbia. Like, I said, okay, well, it's got a clave rhythm. Here's sure. the clave rhythm. Let's do a little research on that. Maybe you can tell me a little, oh, you like this? Or like that. Oh, show me your song. Okay, let's see what we can do with the tools. And hip hop is very adaptable. 100%. And, I was about to say, you know, it's it, not like these things haven't been incorporated in hip hop through the yeah. years at some point or another. Yeah, and it, it, by necessity, it's always adapted. So, you know, I can use those tools, but you want to meet the kids where they're at. Okay, so back back to what I was talking about. So there's the three dimensions of therapeutic beat making. There's the relationship, which I started to talk about, which is really key, yep. right? There's also the expressive dimension 
and then the self-concept. So in talking about relationship, just to kind of wrap that pillar up or that domain up, you know, we think about the importance of community and hip hop and connection and people connecting through that. And so I can, we can connect rapidly. We can create interest, peak an interest. And we use that opening to then pull people in and, and you sustain the relationship through the beat making, which is not stripping away someone's defenses or, you know, it's not as, um, perhaps anxiety provoking as traditional therapy where you're like, tell me about your feelings. Now I'm being hyperbolic because right. any good therapist is going to, you know, especially with kids, you do play therapy sure. and you, you're curious about them as a person and et cetera. But it's a way that's perhaps more culturally familiar and doesn't carry the stigma of being in traditional, like the, the kind of Eurocentric traditional idea of psychotherapy. So it's, it has to be a big stumbling block. That's, it, that's absolutely. For anyone, even, even for white folks for yeah. whom it's culturally familiar, like there's, you know, and I think for other folks, like there's a lot of stigma around mental health services. Yeah. Like, What's wrong with you? You are crazy. <laughs> right. Only crazy people go to therapy, right? <laughs> right. As opposed to, you know, we've seen recently like the Jay Coles and even um, G Herbo, like mm -hmm. really talking about mental health and being in therapy and really validating that, which has been really amazing. Right. Um, but that's, that's a new thing, right? right. And, and being able to recognize their trauma, I think mindfulness becoming kind of more mainstream uh, meditation. And that's something, by the way, we integrate as well. So, but let me come back to this. Yep. We have the relationship as domain or aspect that dimension. And then we have the expressive dimension. And when I talk about expressive, I'm talking about the act of expressing through, you know, the experiential part of beat making. Now that can be both the idea of catharsis, like that Freud talked about the release of these repressed emotions that we have to hold inside because they're not socially appropriate to express or we're expressing them in the wrong way at the wrong time. Right. So getting the anger, rage, angst, it doesn't only have to be or sadness it doesn't have to be all negative. It can be positive too. But channeling that into a socially acceptable form and an artistic form, channeling it and getting this sense of release. And that's the idea of catharsis. Right. But then there's also through repetitive rhythmic activities, beat making, hitting pads, even listening to beats and the idea of entrainment falling into this light trancer or rhythmic lock in when you lock mm -hmm. into a beat that can downregulate. It can calm down our stress response, le high levels of cortisol and stress hormones, right? That whether you're having a PTSD flashback or something more minor, someone's, you know, really upsetting you, someone cuts you off in traffic or whatever, mm -hmm. you can calm yourself down by listening to repetitive beats. Now, that's not to say that certain music can't dysregulate us, but if you listen to beats and music, it can, it can calm you down. It can bring down your stress response. And people do that all the time. The, the, uh, the lo-fi hip hop channel phenomenon. That's right. It's, it's relaxing and soothing and, sure. you know, repetitive beats. So the way that rhythm can calm down our stress response, give us the capacity to come back into our prefrontal cortex, into our thinking brain, our, our neocortex, the newest part of our brain where we think, plan, remember. You can think, quote unquote, rationally, have access to language. Because people sometimes when they have a stress response, they descend into fight or flight or even lower freezer or, or faint. Yeah. And, and they can't talk. Right. They just they, they lose the capacity to talk, to verbalize <laughs> yeah. or they teeter on the edge of, you know, getting into a fight or taking off or right. get, being out of there. So we can use that. So, um, you know, I think about that. And also one, you know, one of the things that, you know, all the kind of trauma experts in the world, Bessel van der Kolk and other people talk about is the importance of the communal locking in through one beat together or locking into synchronized rhythmic activities and the importance of joining, right? The, the, the really profound social sense of joining and being connected in nonverbal ways. It can be through verbal too. It can be through singing, right? But the idea of joining in that beat in that way is a very, I think, 
fundamental tribal and it's it just speaks to our you know our kind of our social nature as humans and right. mammals right connecting and feeling connected because we're designed to connect um we're literally biologically programmed to do that and so and we've been doing that through rhythms for thousands you know, tens yeah. of hundreds beginning. of thousands of years yeah. so you then have that profound experience that oftentimes people can't even put into words of joining of locking in to the beat and that's why it's used in religious and you know traditional ceremonies Right. Um, and that's why it's also people love raves and hip hop shows and stuff like that. This kind of idea of coming together as one, locking in, singing um, along, singing along. And, and that <laughs> regulates our nervous system. It yeah. calms us down. It, it helps us feel. And, and this is really important. It helps us to feel connected. Yeah. Because trauma creates a sense of isolation. No one can understand what I've been through. No one understands my subjective experience, the terror, the horror the struggle that I experienced, the, the disconnection, dissociation, literally dissociation. And so coming together through these very simple nonverbal ways, you don't have to put it into words. You just do it and you lock in and join with other people is really profound. And so that's another part of the expressive you know, dimension of the therapeutic beat making model and what we know about the value of music and rhythm. And this is things that happen when you're drawing too. There's rhythmic patterns to when you're drawing, you know, I, I encourage people to sketch because it's a, a way to, you know, get their anxiety out to regulate that people are already doing. Right. right. And that's why I say it's OK if people are sketching or taking notes in their own way when I'm talking or when people are trying, you know, quote unquote, teaching or lecturing. Right? Right, right. OK, so we have the relationship domain. We have the expressive domain. And lastly, we have the self-concept domain. Self-concept, you know, as I'm kind of stating it and in the past has been defined as both self-esteem how we view ourselves in comparison to our ideal sense of self. Freud talked about this ideal sense of self, right? And that the closer you come to it, you'll never actually be your ideal sense of self. You'll never be able to jump over buildings. you never be the best DJ in the world, the best beat maker, the best, you know, husband, the best whatever, you know, but, you, but the more you do your homework and do the dishes and make a cool beat and get positive reinforcement, feedback from your community or people or even you know, stuff that you like, the closer you come to your ideal sense of self and your self-esteem goes up. Sure. Now, some people have self-esteem that's less regulated, that kind of goes up and goes down rapidly. And some people have a more sturdy, steady sense of self-esteem. But certainly when you make beats, when you, there's a certain mastery of making beats or anything really like sports, knitting, sewing, you know, cooking well, making a dish well, whatever it is, sure. you, you at least get a temporary boost of self-esteem. And for someone who's been told that they're worthless or that they're not skilled or that they're stupid or that they just don't know how to do anything right uh, or that they're a bad kid, right. to be able to even just do one little thing right and do something and make something that exists and that they can say, hey, I made this. Right. Well, I did that. Right. I programmed that drum beat. And to get positive feedback from other people who view them negatively in the past, I believe can change their sense of self and the way they view themselves and treat themselves. Mm. And then, so that's self-esteem self. Yeah. It, it really, I mean, it's transformative, yeah. right? Yeah. And so self-efficacy is the idea of having, being able to have an effect on the world, to have agency and be able to do things that, that can have an impact on the world and others. For people who've been passive victims of trauma, who've been, in, been put in a passive, powerless position, which is often the case for kids in general in our society, right? Sure. You know, not to mention, other kind of social conditions and, and systems in place, systems of power and privilege or lack thereof, sure. to have agency is really powerful. To be able to have a voice is really powerful. And to be able to do something like I made that. Yeah. I had the agency to do that. I made choices. I 
helped brainstormed about the artwork for our beat tape cover, which is what we do with the kids, is really important. And so that's part of the therapeutic aspect of it. So, for example, when I'm teaching kids, even adults, how to make beats and they've never done it before, I have my beat machine. I got, you know, 16 pads that have drum sounds on them. And I say, okay, we're going to program Billy Jean. I need you, you know, Bob or Luisa or, you know, whoever to choose out of these four. I was given choices. It's all about giving them choices because kids are told, no, don't, you right. don't have choices. Like, like this. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Okay. So there's four kick drums here. I want you to tap all of them and see which one is your favorite and choose it. You get to choose. It's like when we were kids, choose your own adventure, adventure, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 So having options, everyone wants options. Now, that deeper discussion where we can get to unconscious stuff and how <laughs> sometimes people don't want options, but this is important for, you know, for kids. And people to, to have a sense of control, yeah. efficacy, and and to be respected and have their opinion valued and reaffirmed and say, you have value, you're a creator, and to be given that kind of license to be a creator. And so we always encourage the kids as well to come up with their own aliases or DJ names, beat maker names, artist names, and to think about themselves because they've been told they're this, they're that, you're bad, you're da-da, you're, you're this, but right. to construct a new artistic and hip hop identity right. that's separate from yet still connected to their pre-existing identity, whether it be in the school, the classroom, you know, their reputations, et cetera. Here you get to reinvent yourself and choose your own name and, you know, and make something cool that then, you know, typically your peers and even your parents and community might like, and you can put out there and you get positive reinforcement for the Python MC course that I told you about. The first thing to do right out of the gate. There you go. That's it. And you know, we have our aliases. Yeah, yep, absolutely. <laughs> and, we're, and we're either given them by, you know, by mentors or by sure. peers, or by the community, or right. we choose them for ourselves. Right. And that's powerful that's so very to powerful. have another sense of identity. And I think that's really important. I've seen that in, in terms of like, I know people who maybe have really like, quote unquote, boring jobs or things they don't like, but I know them as a beat maker and I value and I treat them as such. And that's part of their identity. And that's part of the community they belong to. They may work at, you know, like a shoe store or be, I don't know, a psychologist or, but to me, I view them and I value them as a beat maker. And that's part of their identity and the positive feedback that they get. And that helps them escape from like the mundane. Oh yeah. hundred percent. That means something that's valuable. And and I think in particular, if we look at like the roots of hip hop and for, for folks that have been disenfranchised and traumatized on a, you know, a, oh, the, a societal yeah. level, you know, black and brown folks who've been told they're not valuable, they don't have value and been given this false narrative of, Ameri- you know, quote unquote, American history to be able to say, no, 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 no. Here's my narrative, right? right through hip hop, a counter narrative. Absolutely. Here's my value. Here's the knowledge that we pass on through hip hop you know, as a, a knowledge system. Yeah. And then here's my identity. Yeah. Despite your white supremacist yeah. construction of me, I am, I'm powerful. I'm, uh, we have our own, you know, myths within hip hop, like in the way that they're like Greek myths or sure. that there's, you know, like the myths of whatever the myths are in American society and the kind of like these, you know, the superheroes and right. the archetypes there. So for people to be able to say, no, this is, this is the way we're going to reinvent ourselves in a powerful way that empowers us. And yeah. so this is why I got to give another shout out to Dr. Raphael Travis. Guy is absolutely brilliant and has this amazing kind of theory and and system of of thinking that's linked to his research in terms of like the narratives of hip hop, right? And um, his Mizzou's model, we're using music to to understand the narratives of hip hop and then the individual and community empowerment model where he thinks about, you know, the different narratives in hip hop, whether it be narratives of growth 
narratives of resilience, mm. you know, empowerment, mm-hmm. narratives of esteem. Mm-hmm. And you can look at different hip hop songs or, or narratives within hip hop and find these narratives and, yeah. and talk about it. So that's another way. It, it's interesting because he and I, uh, and that's one of my co-researchers, so I'll, I'll touch on that in a second. For but sure. he and I really have such a large overlap in terms of you think about it as like a, a Venn diagram, like in terms of the way that we think about things theoretically, we just call things differently. We come at it from maybe a different theoretical perspective, but we just so understand in, in this really fundamental way, the importance of community, the importance of identity, the importance of healthy development, the importance of agency and efficacy, that that exists within hip hop naturally, naturally and that that's valuable. And, you know, and, and Dr. Travis also acknowledges there's, you know, risky behaviors and, and there's safer behaviors. There's negative aspects to hip hop and narratives, too, sure. that are more dangerous or, or negative. But it's really if you view it as a tool, I, I was like, whose podcast? Was, oh, I was listening to Adisa Banjoko's podcast. Oh, okay. And yeah, viewing uh, he was he was interviewing this this uh, white entrepreneur guy who's a friend of his. And, and they were talking about, you, you know, hip hop as a way to empower and to use it as a tool. It's, it's a it's a tool and any tool can be used in positive ways. It can also be used in in negative ways, but it's a really powerful healing tool. Yeah. And so the research that he and I have done, along with uh, Dr. Alexander Crook at University of Melbourne, who's another one of our collaborators and co-authors, has, has looked at how can we view hip hop as therapeutic and having a positive impact? How can we view you know, therapeutic beat making model is having a positive impact. And so we've put out in the past, I want to say six months or a year, we've published two articles. And one of them has data on how hip hop and therapeutic beat making and his hip hop empowerment model in a summer gap program for kids. I think it was for African-American and, and Latino youth in Texas, how these kids who started off with higher levels of anxiety and depression, higher than their peers, right? By the end of the summer, after having done therapeutic beat making and the hip hop empowerment kind of uh, bibliotherapy model of like dissecting themes in, in hip hop songs and identifying them and that kind of stuff had much less lower levels of anxiety and depression than their peers having started mm-hmm. at, at the highest. And then by the end, having done that had significantly lower, th- you know, average levels of anxiety and depression than wow. the, their peers who were less depressed and less anxious to start with. Wow. And now we have some other data we've been working on that we're working on analyzing from uh, we did a therapeutic beat making groups in four different middle schools in the San Francisco Bay Area last year. We integrated dynamic mindfulness, which is that, again, shout out Naroga Institute. It's movement based meditative and mindful breathing. The reason that's important is because trauma, we can often freeze, right? People can get caught. And it's especially if it's a, a position that you were maybe in physically that when you were traumatized or, you know, attacked or victimized, this keeps you moving. It keeps you breathing. So you don't freeze. It gives, again, a, we think about agency and control and movement, keeping things dynamic, right? Trying to prevent freezing. Just for, just trying to sit still and, and meditate or breathe. Sometimes it's better to move around. Yeah. Especially for kids. Yeah. yeah but, it, but for people who've experienced trauma and may That's find that. Yeah. So okay. it's movement, it's movement based. And the breathing helps regulate the stress response system, sure. gets the, the thinking, the brain, the prefrontal cortex, the, the thinking brain back online. But you have to regulate people first. You have to regulate people first, especially with experienced trauma, lest they be caught up in their stress responses or their flashbacks or, you know, traumatic kind of uh, residue or, or whatever. So we integrated just in little micro doses, like three to five minutes at the beginning of sessions, 
we compared, we, we did, we did that for all the groups, all different four school sites we were doing the therapeutic beat making at, but we started some groups, we started with the dynamic mindfulness and some we brought in halfway through mm. and we, we kind of gave that as tools. And, you know, here, this is something that you can do for yourself. If you're in a, you know, a fight or if you're having trouble focusing in school or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And um, this is the mindful beat study. And so we're still, we, we still have to analyze, you know, finish analyzing the data, but I already spoke about some parents who, who said, oh, my kid, you know, is telling me, hey, mom, listen to that snare drum in the car. Right. So you clearly see there's educational and pedagogical and cognitive benefits. But emotionally, too, kids identified that both the beat making was really helpful to them to help them cope with stress at school. And even for kids who didn't like school, it made them have something to actually look forward to to come to school. And, and yeah. then you also had kids who said, oh, yeah, you know, some kids, most of the kids, I think, or at least half of the kids at, at, at the very least said, I've used the dynamic mindfulness either in class, in school to help me focus or out of school to help me, you know, when I'm in a fight with my parents or my siblings, I, some kids even taught it to their siblings mm. and it de- apparently by self-report de- decreased their conflict. And then kids also said that they found the beat making helpful just in terms of feeling better about themselves. There are a couple of kids who like, man, I didn't like that mindfulness stuff. I don't want to do it, you know, right. and 10 years, 10, 15 years down the road, I'm pretty sure they'll be like, yeah, that was actually pretty useful <laughs> to, to learn that, but I just wanted to make beats. Okay. It's fine. But um, yeah, so we have that research coming down the pipes. And then we also, you know, we're constantly doing research in, in a real world way. And we've taught at this point, probably more than 75,000 kids across the globe, maybe mm. pushing 100,000 at this point. Mm. And we've taught on six continents across many different cultures and countries. And, you know, we try to be, res- you know, respectful to the local culture sure. and cultures, plural, where we go. And so you want to like, again, tap in, say, what are the kids listening to? Right. Here's some tools. Right. But how can I help you achieve what it is that you want to achieve? What are you interested in? Right. Who, are, who are you? But we've really seen it's been really powerful. And, and you know, I. I put myself out there to say I'm comfortable in most environments, whether they be prison, juvenile hall, you know, foreign settings, walking in with a beat machine and non-verbally being able to, even if there's a linguistic, you know, cultural divide, I can still show people how to make beats. And I've taught in, you know, broken Spanish or Spanglish (laughs) in El Salvador and Colombia and Peru and, you know, other places with a limited vocabulary showing kids how to make beats and, and people how to make beats. And it really was a very fun experience that I think benefited them and me and was an interesting cross-cultural exchange. So I think there's a lot of, a lot of benefits to it. And, and so, you know, anyone who says, how is beat making or hip hop, you know, therapeutic or helpful, I, I break them down the therapeutic beat making model, the relationship, yep. the expressive aspects and the self-concept aspects. And there's a whole lot more. I think the self-concept was actually a really fascinating perspective that I, I hadn't thought of before. I appreciate you breaking that down. And, and and you've answered just now the a question I like to ask a lot of people who are using hip hop in sort of these ways, or, or what is a universal potential? You know, a lot of people say, "Oh, hip hop, yeah, that'll be fine in the in the in, you know in the inner city schools. It'll be great there, you know, but it's not going to be helpful everywhere else." And I say, "Listen, the you know there's certain communities that obviously need culturally uh, relevant methods of teaching or engaging more than others, for sure." I think everyone can be educated by hip hop, and, and that's and what I I'm think, saying. The universally, yeah. this is also this is completely universal. Yeah, and and you know, look, if I'm not of the mindset that teaching privileged people or white or white and privileged folks is is like bad, I think it's great because uh, as a white person. I can sometimes be more effective than other folks coming in and talking to to white people, or maybe it, it can be helpful coming from like a, a fellow white person saying, Hey, 
we got a lot of racism and white supremacy going on here. And, and let me point it out. I mean, I've, I, I've done that I've with, done with, some, <laughs> with some pushback in rural Kentucky sometimes. Sure. Sure. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. yeah, no, I mean, I think that's important. And teaching people the history of hip hop. Yeah. Right. And it's and also it's I should say it's not only me as a white person. The vast majority of my organization is people of color, yeah. black and brown folks. I think it's like 16 out of 19 folks are, are folks of color at today's yeah. future sound. You know, and we're we're a fairly diverse group of individuals. So we come in and, and you know, teach. We teach about the history of hip hop. So the history of hip hop is important to know because nowadays with appropriation and mainstream pop music, kids might think that like Justin Bieber is hip hop or, you know, <laughs> and, and invented hip hop or, you know, right. We really spell out what are the influences, even if, you know, you're listening to Justin Bieber, or, you know, or uh, Taylor Swift, you know, what is she appropriating or what is she taking from? Where does, where do beats come from? Where does hip hop come from? What's the influence? You know, what, what are they pulling from and spelling out the history and really talking about the history of hip hop and its inception and its start and where it came from and why with DJ Cool Herc, with the South Bronx, with black and brown folks, disenfranchisement, oppression. Which, which gets into sociological, you know, yeah. other, other areas of, of, of learning, but you kind of sneak it in through the music. In the same way that math and science is snuck in through hip hop and through the music. Exactly. Right. It's, it's as one of our instructors in Southern California and LA, Asterix Music talks about, he says it's a gummy vitamin, right? There you go. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's hip hop is a really powerful vessel and, and it, it's also, necessarily but we're we're talking about history and we're talking about teaching american and world history because hip hop has had a tremendous undeniable effect on modern culture and even you know i mean quote unquote contemporary history from the 60s forward that to my knowledge is not taught as part of american history ap history or american history or world history right. even though it has it has had a tremendous multi-billion dollar and immeasurable Sociocultural, sociopolitical impact on the entire world. You'd be hard pressed to find something that was comparable. <laughs> yeah, there, there, there is nothing, and is even including in the cultural realm and in the in the realm of innovation, I really don't think there's anything that's quite comparable. I make that argument often. So yeah, yeah. and as a holistic, integrated culture, multi-dimensional culture, there's I don't think there's nothing comparable to hip hop that traverses music, fashion, art thinking, mm -hmm. world perspective, pedagogy, subjectivity, you know, I mean, you just, so to, to me, yeah, everything. And that's what's beautiful about it. And that's what we try to educate too, that hip hop is not just a genre of music. It is a culture. Here's the culture. So understand it in a nuanced way. And I think that gives a lot of people a new insight into the value of hip hop and not to just fall into the kind of the, 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 the negative stereotypes or tropes. Sure but to understand it in a nuanced, powerful way that has therapeutic, educational, cultural value and impact. That, sir, is what this show is designed for, to help. No, that's, that's why I've been chasing you down. Help, help bring you <laughs> well, listen, you were doing all the work. I'm really happy to hear about it in detail. We've spoken, obviously, uh, briefly, but to get the real nitty gritty and, and breakdown of everything that you do and, every, and why it works, why it's important, uh, why it's universally, has universal potential. And again, the name of the show, we're, we're getting there to the end now, but you just kind of touched on it. So let me just get it out the way. The name of the show is Hip Hop Can Save America. Amen. Oh, it's a lofty goal. It's a, it's probably, a, we need a lot more than hip hop to save America. And yeah. what save means could be interpreted different ways. But with that in mind, I'd love to know from your perspective, just as a kind of overarching holistic uh, answer, you know, why, why do you think that people specifically in your fields, but in any field you want to touch on or just in general, 
why do we need to, as a society, be looking at hip hop as a way to improve lives, livelihoods and communities in this country? So one of the things I was just thinking is that hip hop, again, as kind of part of its baked in nature or aspect of it, from my perspective, involves uh, critical literacy and critical race theory Mm. uh, and understanding that hip hop has presented a counter narrative and been a valuable way to educate and empower, but also looks at the kind of white mainstream narratives and the mainstream narratives that were given critically and has criticized and rebelled against it and has thrown rocks that need to be thrown and continues to do so and continues to evolve for sure. Uh, and is a, you know, a complex nuanced culture, but with all those kind of baked in therapeutic, uh, educational, et cetera, kind of aspects. So I think that's really important too, at least that, from what I can tell from kind of all of our peers involved in hip hop education, or I shouldn't say all many, the vast majority and many so-called hip hop therapists, you know, really understand critical race theory you're thinking about like whose narrative is missing and whose narrative do we need more of and how should we be revising history or, or the, the history that we're given And hip hop has always done that, you know, through public enemy and, you know, poor righteous teachers and Tupac and various different, you know, folks who, who've really kind of uh, used hip hop as a narrative tool, but a critical tool and a critical lens. And I think that hip hop has introduced that. So I think that's really important. Um, and pushing that framework and it's just kind of baked into what we do. So I, I view, view that as being really, really helpful and really powerful uh, and, and at the core of uh, oftentimes at the core of like hip hop pedagogy and hip hop therapy and just hip hop in general. Yeah. And it brings people in. Yeah. No, it gives voice. I think it's a great, uh, a great angle, a great perspective. Uh, you know, I, one of the projects I work on where we integrate journalism with hip hop, you know, so uh, we use hip hop as journalism. Not, not, not as a, yeah. you know, as a accessory to, to journalism. It's part of the story. It's part this of the story. Newsbeat? Yeah, but Newsbeat. It, an amazing show. You like I, I was, I was literally in El Salvador listening to the episode about El Salvador. <laughs> That's right. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With, with, an, with a, a Salvadoran artist featured on there. Yeah. Rebel Diaz. And we had a, a cruise control. Yeah, uh, cruise control. Yeah, cruise control yep. from from yep. uh, on that episode, and 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 that's it. It's because I feel and my connection to hip hop through you know my own history and and uh, experiences that the artist's perspective, like you just said, you know, and we could rattle down the name of artists that have uh, integrated social justice in their in their lyrics and in their art. That their perspective is as valuable as any commentator, any activist, any yeah. you know any sociologist. Their perspective from an artistic but a, a lived experience point of view is just as valuable. You need that perspective and you need the, that they can translate what they may have experienced through their life through people that didn't have the voice of the platform. And they're bringing those stories to, to light in a compelling way through music, through art. We've had it from, you know, folk music. We've had it from, you know, protest music all throughout history. So hip hop as journalism, as a very effective form of arts journalism, uh, yeah. I think is, is very valuable in a time right now where we have a lot of problem with uh, media literacy, like you see yep. now. Yep. Um, again, it's in the intro to this show uh, has uh, President Barack Obama saying, you know, the kids aren't going to get their information from me, the New York Times. Right. You know? And again, as we talked before, hip hop's in the room. So combine those two things. They're going to yeah. get their information from this, from this genre, this art form. And if it's done uh, in an effective manner, I think that could be very helpful and very powerful. Yeah, I, I would just, the last thing I would say is that hip hop is, ever adapting and ever evolving and ever changing. It's always on the cutting edge. And, and I think that's probably black culture and, and cultures of the oppressed and, in general. Yep. But 
that means it's it's very malleable and flexible. It's it's but it's also rooted at the same time. Yes. Right. And so I think that that is another reason why it'll hopefully it'll continue to evolve and be at the forefront and change and and manifest differently, even if us old school curmudgeons, boom bap (laughs) curmudgeon, you know, because I'm from New York and I grew up in New York in the 90s, you know, have to push ourselves a little to understand, you know, trap or whatever the next thing is, Um, whatever the next manifestation or or rehashing or remix or whatever. And I think that's another reason because it's it's such a powerful culture because it is a culture and not just a genre of music and it's multimedia. It's yeah. multi-discipline. It's, it's multi-dimensional. And I think that's why it's so, so powerful. Um, and we'll see kind of continued manifestations and iterations. That's why I love the work you do. I love uh, people who work with young people and have that total sense of, of history and value, where it's from, where it's at, where it could go, how it can all be thrown in, mixed up and, uh, and put out together for, for really great um, results. And again, to, to hear some of the stories about you know, kids coming out of this with um, decreased stress levels and just a better outlook on life, uh, being a, a more prepared, more intelligent citizen of the world <laughs> and that you do it all across the, the planet is really impressive, man. And I really appreciate the time explaining all the things you do. Oh, thanks for the time. Yeah, man, of course. I you know we could probably do this for a few more hours, but uh, probably. I, know, I know that your global beat ciphers go on their marathon sessions. <laughs> yeah, uh, we, so. we, 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 we tend to, yeah, you know, I think it's important to have a forum for everyone. I think that's what hip hop, you know, started it. This is, as my friend pointed out, we've created a digital park for people to have jams in that's what's right? up. and yeah. to get in the cipher. So yeah, I'll just say, you know, uh, folks listening to this, um, please do check out the global beat cipher is hashtag global beat cipher c-y-p-h-e-r you can check it out via the various today's future sound social media platforms we stream live every saturday 7 p.m pst 10 p.m est on youtube.com slash today's future sound on facebook.com slash today's future sound and on twitch.tv slash today's future sound sometimes we'll do a bootleg stream on instagram but you know catch us on any of those all the shows are archived on those platforms as well um, we put out free beat tapes from all the sample flips, the remixes of the sample packs we do with producers around the world. That's for free download and streaming at soundcloud.com slash today's future sound. And for free download, we have hundreds of beat tapes, thousands of beats for free download and streaming at today's future sound.bandcamp.com. And uh, if you want to be really, really fresh, go to today's future sound.bigcartel.com. We have lots of one of kind, hundreds of one kinds of hats, t-shirts, Paisley bucket hats, bandana bucket hats, and all that kind of stuff. So check that out. Support us that way. Today'sFutureSound.org has all our uh, you know vital info and central links, has our blogs and, and links to stuff. You can see what's going on. Um, so definitely check that out. If you want to check me out, I go by Philip Drummond or Filthy Drummond with a PH. Uh, you can check out at Philip Drummond on uh, Instagram, at Today's Future Sound on Instagram, and all that kind of good stuff. So yeah, Manny, thank you so much. It's a pleasure being on here. I really appreciate the platform. I love your show. Uh, Newsbeat is definitely one of the best podcasts I've ever listened to in my life. And I've learned a lot from it. So thank you for that. I appreciate that very much as the one who uh, cobbles that show together. But yeah, we're very proud of it. Again, proud of your work, proud to tell people about what you do. I do encourage people to go to the main website. Of course, I'm sure uh, you're very humble, but you can donate to the cause as a nonprofit. You uh, assuredly take donations. Yeah, you can, we got a donation button on todaysfuturesound.org. Literally yep. anything helps, $5, $10, $15. It all helps us keep afloat. And it goes to uh, teaching kids beats as a therapeutic and educational intervention and giving out the, the global beat cipher, which is entirely free. All the beat tapes are free. It's a free public initiative. Anyone is welcome to join us and participate. That's and, what's uh, up. Yeah. 
Yeah, I appreciate all the work. And again, uh, kudos to the entire squad. I know that you're, you're not just doing this yourself. There's a lot of people Absolutely involved not. in this. And uh, shouts to everybody. Once we get back up and running, whatever normal, uh, new normal we have, uh, I'd yeah. love to have you back and uh, let us know, you know, about the, the programs you might that might even uh, sprout from this. You might, uh, the global beat cipher is a brand new thing. So that might turn into yep. something in, in physical form. I don't know. Oh, we know. will. We're, we're going to have global beat cipher showcases in New York, New Orleans, uh, Tokyo, and beyond. That's what's up. So always inform me. I always do my best to pass that information and signal boost for you, sir. Thank you. I, I look forward to crossing paths in real life again. I as well. Thanks so All much. Right, in the meantime, be safe, be well. You too. Take care. All right. Peace. Peace. Once again, I'm Manny Faces, and I thank you for listening to Hip Hop Can Save America, a.k.a. the world's smartest hip hop podcast. If you appreciated this episode, please take a moment to rate and review us at ratethispodcast.com slash hip hop. That's ratethispodcast.com slash hip hop. Easy to remember and very helpful to the cause. In addition, you can support the show and get some special offers at patreon.com slash Manny Faces. Every penny goes into being able to continue this and other work that advocates for the use of hip-hop music and culture to improve society and uplift humanity. This show was created, edited, produced, and hosted by me under my production company, Manny Faces Media, in association with the Center for Hip-Hop Advocacy. And fun fact, I also produced the theme song. For more about my projects, including the award-winning social justice podcast, Newsbeat, information about my public speaking, my upcoming event calendar, and more, visit my online home base at mannyfaces.com. For all things Hip Hop Can Save America, visit hiphopcansaveamerica.com. Thank you for listening, sharing, supporting, and showing love. Appreciate y'all. We're out. Once again, thanks for listening to another episode of Hip Hop Can Save America, a.k.a. the world's most important hip hop podcast. My name is Manny Faces. You can find out more about the show at hiphopcansaveamerica.com. You can watch the show now as a live stream on YouTube, hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash watch. Check back for all the replays as well. The interviews from the live stream will be brought here onto the audio feed, so you always get the best of the live stream. You can also check out our Substack newsletter. It's free at mannyfaces.substack.com filled with stories of hip-hop innovation, inspiration, and in general, hip-hop news that isn't about dumb shit. <laughs> Eternal shouts to our consulting producer, Summer McCoy. Be sure to check out her dope initiatives, Hip-Hop Hacks, and the Mixtape Museum. We'll be back soon with another dope episode, but check us out on the live stream as well. Mondays, 9 p.m. Eastern, hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash watch. Until next time, it's Many Faces wishing peace and love to you and yours.